You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. I'm Matt Levine alongside Lila Bromberg. And as men's basketball and women's basketball get set to start their seasons, and that will cross over with football, we won't be talking too much about every non-revenue this time and in the times coming forward as football and basketball cross over. But we'll start with the men's basketball media day. We'll talk about that. And obviously we'll have a main podcast previewing the men's basketball season. There's a lot of hype around it, but we'll start by talking about how they had media day on Tuesday. Yeah. And we'll also be having a preview podcast with women's basketball as well. Uh, We'll be talking a lot more about that in the coming weeks with all of our coverage on our site and uh, having a ton of podcasts. So stay tuned for all of that. Currently for basketball, we've got a player preview series doing a ton of features. So, uh, you know, for everything you want to know about Maryland basketball, we'll discuss things here, but make sure you go on our site to get some more info. Now, I have to say, Matt, I've been around this team. This is now my third year um, actually covering the team. You know, before it was more in a multimedia capacity. Now it's more uh, in a writing and editing capacity as well. And I've grown up watching Maryland basketball. And I have to say, there just feels to be this buzz around Maryland basketball that I haven't felt in a while. Um, This team just seems hungry. I mean, Mark Turgeon is up there at the podium, and he isn't one to um, create lofty goals. Like, that's just not the kind of guy he is. He's a very, like, let's take this one game at a a time. Um, It's kind of his, at least from what I've seen from interviews and things like that, but, like, he can see it, you know, and he's not saying we're going to make a Final Four, but he's saying this can be a really, really good team, which is, you know, as pretty close as you get with, and say, you know, he said, like, we can do really great things if, um, you know, people develop the way they're supposed to and are coachable. And uh, I wrote an article today about just the desire from Anthony Cowan to have his name up in the rafters to bring a national championship or some sort of ring to Maryland. And they're just something just feels different this year. And I I don't want to be naive and, uh, you know, get too much in the buzz and excitement. But I don't know, just something it's just like palpable. I feel like there was a lot of this kind of buzz that you're talking about now there was a lot of that towards the end of this season and when obviously they get they lose on a buzzer beater to LSU in March Madness I think that put a terrible taste in their mouths and you you could see teams kind of fold after that and not really have any desire to want to come back but it seems like Mark Turgeon and the entire team Cowan and Smith being the two main guys now they're coming back and they say that that game is it still is in their head. They still watch film of that game, and they want to, they have more desire to win. And I've always seen you reporting it, and other people for Testudo Times reporting that they're hungry, and that's the main thing that they talk about is being hungry to win. And I think the theme of this team is wanting to win this year. Yeah, and it was interesting, you know, talking to uh, players, you know. Aaron Wiggins was basically saying, and a bunch of other guys were saying too, that Churchin wanted them to take basically two weeks off to just, after that LSU loss, to really take some time off basketball, live a little, just let it in. But within two days, <laughs> within two days, uh, they're all back in the gym. They're all putting shots up because there's just that hunger and desire. And I think I think that's the big theme, but also is the death, right? You talk about that LSU loss. If you look at that, you know, I would get annoyed because Turgeon would always talk about how young that team is. But when you get to something like March Madness, it really does matter. Um, none of them had ever started or played a significant role in an NCAA tournament. And uh, so they didn't know what that felt like. And the competition is so stiff. Those freshmen are still developing. It's their first year. But then this year you come back, you not only have that motivation and hunger, right? But you have these freshmen and sophomore making a big leap. You say it's going to be led by Cowan and Jalen. But two guys I was just insanely impressed with after, you know, watching two hours of practice, after talking to them, after following the team all summer, have been uh, Aaron Wiggins and Eric Ayala. Uh, both made big improvements to their body and really worked on their game. I think that um, I wrote in Eric Ayala's, sorry, in Aaron Wiggins' player preview, um, I talked about his three-point shot. As a freshman, he was second all-time for the scoring record and was just behind for the freshman three-point, you know, record of uh, three-pointers made. And Kevin Herter started that year. He played 23 minutes a game, Aaron Wiggins, um, and, you know, was shooting uh, well over 40%. 
and looked really good and now he's put on a lot of muscle and uh he looks even better which i didn't I didn't expect that big of a leap, and he has, and Eric Ayala has lost um, nearly 20 pounds, he said, and um, he's become, like, lighter, bouncier, really more athletic, and then you bring in a physical freshman class, there's just, you know, in Turgeon, vows of, there are two main themes of media day, and the two main themes of his team right now are a hunger and depth, so there's a hunger, and then there's a depth to do so, and it's now, I think, a matter of development and coaching, but, um, yeah, I could see this as a team where you can have easily a nine or ten man rotation, which they didn't have last year. And that's a crutch when you're in uh, an NCAA tournament, when you're trying to go as hard as you possibly can, because, you know, then guys are getting tired and uh, they're not able to put everything out there. I think the two guys you just mentioned in Wiggins and, and Eric Ayala, they're two guys that Ayala obviously started a majority. He started 33 games last year out of the 34, and Wiggins did not start. But this year, I think that might flip. I think Wiggins will get, potentially, he'll start at shooting guard. And Ayala might come off the bench as the sixth man, depending on if Turgeon wants to go with a taller lineup or a more a smaller lineup and guys who can shoot, then they'd both start. But I'm interested to see who will start at the four position. Because mm-hmm. I think Smith, you have to start him at five until Chol Mariel comes back if he can even play and can compete at this level and he'll start at the five but I think Jalen Smith starts at the five I don't know who the power forward mm-hmm. the starting power forward forward will be I kind of have to disagree with you there I've been going back and forth about this um and that's the thing is like we've been chatting in the editor's group chat um just talking with different people like the fact that there's so much debate over who could start with this team says enough in itself yeah. um but I think you're going to have at those, you know, one, two, and three spots, um, Anthony Cowan, obviously, Eric, uh, Eric I- and then I think you're going to have Eric Ayala and Aaron Wiggins. And then I think you're going to have Jalen Smith at the five. And then I kind of see it being either Ricky Lindo Jr. or Dara Morsell at the four spot. Um, I think that it's, I think it's going to change. Like, I think that this is a team that is going to sub a lot. And Turgeon has talked about that, that in the past he has subbed and teams have gotten worse. He said that this is a team where he thinks he could sub for a certain situation and make it better. Um, Because, you know, you can either play small ball, kind of like with a lineup, like I just said, or you can bring in uh, Makai Mitchell at the four or five. Uh, He's 6'10". He looks really good because, you know, Jalen Smith, I think, can really thrive at the four position and do that really well. Um, That allows him to kind of be on the perimeter and taking those shots a bit more and showing off his versatility. Um... So you could see that, um, yeah, and then it's like whether you're going to have Ricky Lindo or uh, Eric Ayala, sorry, Ricky Lindo or Daryl Morsell at that spot is something that I'm really, really going back and forth on. Um, I think that Daryl Morsell showed so, so much progression towards the end of last season in the NCAA tournament, which I also you know wrote about towards the end of that, and um, I think he can make a big leap, and I think he's a big leader, but I could also see him taking that leadership and leading the number two group. Um, because I know that Turgeon really likes the rebounding skills of Ricky Lindo. So I'm not really sure. There's just so many possibilities. And then you've got Donta Scott and uh, a bunch of other guys as well. I think you'll see Sorrell Smith playing some minutes. Uh, there's just there's just so many possibilities with this starting lineup. And especially, as you said, once Chol Mariel comes back, which could be as soon as November 25th. I, I agree. I think this team can really go in any way, shape, or form, depending on the kind of lineup they want to roll it with. But I would say the two definite starters would be Cowan and Smith. and they're, I think Wiggins they... is kind of locked in there, too. Okay. Yes, but he also... How can you not have that three-point shooting on the floor? you got to have that. I agree, but, you know, <laughs> we, we have to see what Mark Turgeon decides. And I think if if I'm head coach of Maryland basketball, I'm starting Daryl Morsell because... I kind of feel that way, too, honestly. We're talking about all this... They can shoot. Anthony Cowan can shoot. Aaron Wiggins can shoot. If you put Ayala out there, he can shoot. He's also good at defense. But I think Morsell's main part of the game is, other than his solid defense, he's a lockdown defender. He's not a great shooter, but he's a guy that but holds he's the team shot. together. He's the he was gu- making some threes. He was. He's gotten better, but he's not like he's oh, not yeah, Aaron Wiggins. But I think Morsell is the guy that holds the team together. He's the guy that fights even when they're down. And he was the big part of their comeback against LSU. I think he was the guy who sparked it, and he mm-hmm. he rolled with it. So 
he's a guy that you need in the lineup, not just for his defense, but to keep the team together, hold the team together, whether they're winning or losing, and play the same tempo the whole time. Yeah, I agree. I'm a big Daryl Morsell fan. I mean, not fan because I cover a team, but I'm just a fan of his play. Um, I think that, uh, like you said, he really, really played a big role in the NCAA tournament. He went from, you know, eight points a game to over 11 points a game uh, after February 23rd last year. He made a big leap. And, you know, he's provided leadership. It said something that he was one of the guys at Big Ten Media Day. He, uh, and he wants this. He does. And I, and I think that he's a good person to have on floor. I also feel like he's more of like a calm presence at times. Like he obviously gets fired up, but I feel like he's a way of calming players that could be really helpful. But with that, I think it's really interesting, which I talk about in my article with um, how Anthony Cowan has changed too. Um, that could also help this team with just like mentality and leadership, which, you know, we'll get in more into in later weeks and you can read about, but we have to mention this thing we saw on Twitter. I mean, because I was just in shock. Yeah, so it was Eli Boatger, I believe how you pronounce it. An uh, intern for Sporting News, I believe, right? Yeah, an intern for Sporting News, and then 247 Sports picked it up and wrote an article about it. But basically the tweet said that Maryland is the only team in the country that has the recipe to win the national championship, and the same recipe that the previous 17 national champions had on their team. So, this guy's put so much, I, I love it. Like, this guy's passion, if I had the time to do, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's because it's like, he can do it for his job, but if I had the time to do this, like, to just take off some classes and do this, like, that is great. Like, we're going to go through this criteria, and shout out to you, because you t- you put a ton of work in this, and this is very interesting. I was very skeptical at first, but the work has clearly been put in. So the first point is that they've been there and done that, ranked among the top 20 programs on Ken Palm, obviously they were ranked last year and this year as well. They're coming in as a top 10 team. So that's number one that the previous 17 national champions have had. The second part, which is a crazy stat, is that they have a lead guard and a go-to shooter in Anthony Cowan. And they're returning at least one player who started 20 plus games and is 6'3 or shorter. So that's Cowan with a usage rate greater than 20% or shot at least 40% on at least 133 point attempts. I love how like in depth, like just the hours that was probably took to make this is incredible. So the next part is an experienced forward. And you'd have to assume that he's talking about Jalen Smith returned at least one forward, six, seven or taller who started 20 plus games, Jalen Smith and is an upperclassman, which Smith is a sophomore, but the next part of it is, or recorded a minutes played percentage greater than 50%. So obviously they're returning Cowan and Smith as those two categories. And something to build on is that they were top 60 in Ken Palm the previous season and were either top 30 in adjusted offense or defense rank or were top 60 in both adjusted offense and defense rank. So that's another category they have. And the final one is having a top 80 incoming class according to 247 Sports. So Maryland is now the only team in the country that currently hits all of these parts of this list, and the previous 17 national champions in men's basketball have hit this. So Maryland, therefore, is the team that will win it this year, according to this this list, if it stays true and goes for 18 straight years. Okay, but here's my thing with this. Like, I can feel the buzz. I felt it. It was so palpable, like I said, at media day. You're seeing all this coverage. I uh, There was some ESPN thing that popped up on my screen the other day, like just talking about how they could go deep. Um, and I think they can. But my concern and the one thing that doesn't talk about is coaching and adjusting. I feel like they have a talent, but um, there's also like an aspect of um, game planning, in-game adjustments, because as you get deeper, that becomes more of a factor when the talent is all there across different teams. Like when we start talking about the teams like Michigan State um, and Kansas and Kentucky and um, Duke and, you know, a lot of teams that could contend, that's when I think another factor comes into play and you have guys who have been coaching longer and are regarded as these amazing coaches. Um, So I think that could possibly play a factor. So that's one thing I'm kind of hesitant with. I also just, like, feel like, a lot of times with Maryland basketball, you don't want to get your hopes up too high, but I definitely do feel something special going on. 
Yeah, and I think what you just said, the in-game adjustments is... I think Turgeon, he was on the hot seat last year. Um, They got... They lost earlier than they should have, or they were expected to in the tournament. But the second half comeback against LSU is the reason why Turgeon wasn't let go by by Maryland. I think he proved he has the in-game adjustment ability. He proved he can figure it out on the fly. And Maryland came out in the second half, and the game was completely different than it was in the first half. So he's proved that in, obviously, last season, and I think that should continue this year. But another coach they picked up this year is DeAndre Haynes from Michigan. He's now an assistant coach at Maryland, and I think that is a phenomenal addition to the staff. And I think Turgeon said that this is one of the best staffs he's had. Mm-hmm. Especially because um, he's a young guy, too. Like, if you look at the guys on that staff, they're all kind of older. Yeah. You know, I, I would say, like, you know, 50s or older. And then you have DeAndre Haynes, who's in his 30s. So I feel like he can relate to these players a bit more. Yeah, and Marcel and Cowan both spoke about him at Media Day, um, that he's kind of like the coach that they've never had. I mean, they haven't had him yet, so... <laughs> I think Marcel said he's very excited to work with Haynes, and I think he's a great addition. He came from Michigan under John Beeline, who's now coaching the Cleveland Cavaliers. So obviously a guy that has experience and can coach at a high level like that, and he learned all of that from Beeline. So if he can bring that to Maryland and bring his experience from Michigan, then the Terps are really in a very, very good spot. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting season. Uh, one thing, one thing, Thing that I thought was really, really interesting that has just stood out to me, uh, and we talked about with this on our podcast with Johnny Holiday, is when Maryland won the national championship, uh, it was in Atlanta, and it's back in Atlanta this year. Not saying they're going to win a national championship, not saying they're going to a Final Four, but I just think that's an interesting little tidbit. Well, history does repeat itself, so <laughs> it's, I mean, and obviously the points we went over in the list before. I don't know how accurate that will turn out when they actually play, but they, a lot of experts and college basketball analysts are picking them to go very far and be a very high-ranked team. So a lot of exciting play to come from this team. Yeah, for sure. And we'll be getting more into that, as we said, on our preview podcast uh, coming in a little bit. And we'll have all the coverage on our site in the meantime. Uh, another team we'll touch on briefly, and then we'll also have another preview podcast for is women's basketball who had uh, their media day today, and uh, they're all there. So there's a lot of hype with uh, Maryland men's basketball, and I think that they're a team that could possibly go to a Final Four. But Maryland women's basketball, this team is a thing that I think will, like that I don't like. I'm not saying 100, but this is a team that I am much more solidified in thinking they're going to reach a Final Four. Um, they return uh, its top five leading scores, right? And then you bring in uh, the number three freshman class in the country. A ton of freshmen. Uh, you're bringing in, a, you know, Diamond Miller, Ashley Owoso, um, Faith Mashunas. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, you know, you had Zoe Young, and we found out yesterday she tore ACL, so she won't be in for this season. But there's so much depth with this team. I think it's a theme with both squads uh but this is one that's more battle tested than i think men's basketball and i I don't want to compare them but i'm just saying um this is a team that i think is is one that like really really has that championship potential if you look at you know brenda freeze and what she's able to do and how great taylor mike sell was last season and you know kyla charles now in her senior season uh brenda freeze said shakira austin was making huge improvements uh and Brenda Freeze was, you know, saying that this was a really good team. She could feel, it. and it's just, uh, I think, and they also they also had a disappointing loss last year in the NCAA tournament, losing the round of 32 when they really should have gone much much farther. Um, so that's one team I'm really excited to watch. I think having a coach like Brenda Freeze, she can really make any team win. She's a great recruiter, and she showed that again having the number three class. Um, Diamond Miller, one of the freshmen, worked with Team USA over the summer. So she has all that experience. She's going to get a lot of playing time. And so did Ashley Owoso, too. She was doing some stuff with them as well. Yeah, so, I mean, if you have two players already starting out, not even playing in a collegiate game, already working with the best players in the country, 
I mean, that just shows that speaks volumes to this this roster and what they're going to bring to this program. And in, it's now the senior year of Kyla Charles, obviously, Blair Watson, Stephanie Jones, Sarah Vujicic as well. So I think this is their time, and it's right now that this team has the best shot. Even And I think they had a great shot last year to go far. I think they are better this year, and they have a better shot to go further this year than they did last year. And I think getting led by Kyla Charles, I mean, she's going to be – a WNBA player eventually, and I and I, Taylor Mikesell too. Taylor I mean, Mike's best shooter. I I will. She's the best shooter in the country, in my opinion. I think she's the best shooter, best pure shooter I've ever seen. Yeah, both it's men's incredible. And women's basketball <laughs> ever, and Shakira Austin will also be in the WNBA eventually. She's a sophomore now, but and obviously this incoming freshman class. Yeah. I mean, they all they've all won like multiple state championships. Been already been doing stuff with Team USA. Like it, it's crazy. They have every piece. They're deep. They can shoot. They can play defense. And she said it's a taller team than she's had in the past, too. That's what Brenda Free said as well. Yeah, I believe the shortest player is 5'8", and that's Shanice Lewis. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a lot of players at least 5'10 or or taller. Um, Taylor Mikesell is even 5'11". She's a guard that can shoot threes. So they really can – they're very versatile. They can do anything. I expect them to go very, very far, and I think they'll come in as a top-five ranked team. Yeah, and we'll get more into that now to one team that's sadly not as exciting to talk about. Been a, been a weird season for uh, Maryland football, huh, Matt? Yeah, I mean, going 2-0 to start the year, beating Howard 79 nothing, and then destroying Syracuse, who was ranked, and then getting ranked and losing the next two games, and then you pick up a win against Rutgers, and maybe some of the hype's back, and then you go to Purdue in the easiest the easiest game left on your schedule and they get blown out so i mean they also lost now tino ellis who had a separated shoulder which i believe he suffered on the first drive might have been the first play against purdue um so now he's out for the season josh jackson's day-to-day still with that ankle injury and now anthony mcfarland is confirmed to have an ankle injury so he's that's really that's huge because i mean going into the season like it's like Maryland is running back university, like yeah. The, and there's no arguing the talent they had, but they have suffered injuries, and it's not like in the past of Maryland's quarterback injuries where you're not losing the best players. This is the strongest aspect of Maryland's offense that they've lost, that it's lost. Um, you know, you look at Anthony McFarland. We found out he hasn't really been fully practicing for three to four weeks, and that he wasn't fully practicing yesterday. That his ankle has been bugging him. We were wondering why he wasn't getting the carries because he is a force and even when he did go at carries he didn't always look like himself and that explains a lot of it and then you have Jake Funk go down you have Lorenzo Harrison go down who's going to come in and fill some space for Funk and so now you're basically down uh to Leak and uh Tayon Fleet Davis um for this week and you know I think Loxley was saying that against Purdue you know Leak he had an opportunity where it was a play in open space that he could have normally just completely smoked guys in. But he was so gassed from having to take so many reps, both in practice and in that game, that he just wasn't giving his same you know type of play. So then you have those guys, then even the ones that are left that are just not able to produce as much because of the load they now have to carry. Because, you know, that might be normal at another school, but with the way Maryland has always had running backs, they're not used to that. And I think Javon Leak has done a good job now as yeah, I think he's looked the incredible. quote unquote lead back, I guess, without Anthony McFarland. But I mean, I didn't kind of realize that McFarland was banged up, but the lack of production, I definitely thought like he had he had a great redshirt freshman season last year. Um I, he was one of the better freshmen in the Big Ten. And he had two games of two hundred plus rushing yards. I was expecting something kind of close to that this year, uh, at least to be... I was expecting him to like, Maybe go even past a little that. better. Um, but, I mean, I, I now he's now it's confirmed that he is a little banged up and he's not practicing. But if he's not practicing, why are they throwing him in the game action? If but Yeah, that's what I don't understand. Why are you risking that? If right. he already has an injury, why are you risking it? I mean, they gave him, uh, you know, four carries. Why would you even 
risk that if you know that he's going through that and you know that he's not going to be able to produce the way you want it. That just seems both a waste of downs and a waste of his body. Yeah, he only had four rushes for four yards and against Purdue, and that's not like him at all. And you can clearly now point, okay, he's injured. This is why his production is lacking. And I'm, I'm uh, confused if he'll even play the rest of the year if he's not practicing still. I mean, he's an NFL talented. He he has the NFL talent. He can go to the league. So, well, that's that's a thing. Is that this is something that I've been debating with Cody, and Cody is sadly not uh, on our podcast today. We had to kind of switch up a schedule of Media Davis Week, so he was not available. But I've been arguing this with Cody um, and Sean a little bit too. Is he's clearly an NFL talent, but I've been saying that after this season dealing with injury, I think it would benefit him to come back another year and work on himself and I feel like yes he could be like a fifth or sixth round pick this year maybe even fourth but I feel like if he comes back and proves himself with production he can be a really high pick um but like I feel like he could still go this year with the injury but then it's also like do you want to come back to college and risk another injury so I'm really interested to see because while he is you know a redshirt sophomore he came in with another year and um is on the older side so he could go so i'm very interested to see what happens with that do you have any like what would you do if you're in his shoes uh that's that's very that's a very hard decision um but i want to look at tino ellis with with the kind of same idea but ellis got hurt obviously now he can't he can't have a medical red shirt so he's a senior he's he's done here this is his time and i thought he was also talented enough to go get drafted. He didn't look good this year. And that's that's where I was going like to lead to. His highlight tape this year was not what it, what it should have been, what it was expected to be. And I kind of feel bad for him in a way because if he did have another year of eligibility or if he got hurt, let's say, in week four and or week three or whatever, and he could redshirt, but now he can't and he can't come back to it for another year to get the highlight tape there to then go to the combine and potentially get drafted. Uh, he possibly can. I'm not totally sure on that, but I don't. I don't expect him to. I feel you like you don't. I don't know. I feel like if he's getting hurt like that, like that's a separated shoulder. Like that is one of the most painful injuries you can suffer. Um, but I, I would expect him to try and get drafted at this point, and I think McFarland will do the same because. Although he hasn't been producing as much as he did last year, I still think that there's so much, there's so many eyes on him as as a player, and I think all the hype is on him now. And if he kind of waits, that might go down. But I don't know. I, I don't really know what to expect, other than I think the other guy that can go to the league is Antoine Brooks Jr., who's been so solid and has not, thankfully for him, not gotten hurt at all this year. But he certainly has gotten hurt in terms of, not tape, but, like, that secondary, like... They've gotten burned a lot. Yeah, and, like, the thing is, like, Locks has talked about this, and players have talked about this as well. He's basically, like, the only talented... Not talented, but he's, like, the biggest talent left there. But he has the most experience. Um, because you have Antoine Richardson go down at the uh, in spring camp with a 20 ACL. And then you have the stuff with Tino Ellis. They've been having communication issues all year. And that secondary has just not looked good. I don't think I'm not a fan of how they're running the man because I don't think they have the personnel to do it right now. Um, and so I think that's been a big struggle. And so unfortunately, that might make him look a little worse, but we'll see. But he he definitely, I think, will get drafted as well. It's it's disappointing for them because they had such high hopes, obviously going 2-0, and blowing out both teams and then getting ranked. And all of a sudden, it's just... They kind of fell off a cliff, basically. I got too excited. Let me just say that I got I got too excited. Um, and Maryland and, and fans... but, but part of it is not my fault. Part of that is people misranking Syracuse to start season. So I'm not gonna put that all on myself. And I didn't. I wasn't saying they were gonna win like a ton of like I was just saying they could be bowl eligible. But um, now I don't. Think yeah, I, I don't think they're honestly. And we'll get into Indiana uh, after we talk about some field hockey. I don't think they're gonna win another game. I really don't. Maybe this week, but. You look at their schedule, and uh, you've got Indiana this week. That Those games have been shootouts uh, in past years. Really, really high scoring. 
Um, it's gone. It's gone back and forth. I think we'll talk about Indiana, or why don't we just talk about Indiana now? We'll get in the field hockey to end things because I want to talk about this. Um, so Indiana, those games have been really high scoring, gone back and forth, as I said, and but like they have. It's if you look at Indiana's schedule, like they haven't beaten anyone good. And Wes said this in his film breakdown this week. They've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat and lost the teams they're supposed to lose. If you look at the beginning of uh, Indiana's season, like they weren't playing good teams at all. And um, so I'm kind of intrigued by that. But at the same time, I feel like Maryland's in such a bad place mentality-wise and injury-wise that they're just not going to have the fire to come out and win. I feel like this team feels defeated. You would locks like... Someone asked a question about the secondary the other day, and he was just talking about, like, building depth for, like, future years. Like, it just seems like a team, they're not saying they're giving up, but it, I don't know. It kind of feels like it, because you look at the schedule, you've Indiana, and then you've Minnesota, that's now ranked uh, 20th in the country. And Minnesota's 6-0, and and they play Rutgers this week, so... Yeah, and that's at home in Minneapolis as well. You'd have to assume that Rutgers goes in, I mean, excuse me, uh, Minnesota goes into the Maryland game 7-0. and yeah, and then you've got Michigan. Now, Michigan has not looked as strong this year, but I still think they're a much more talented team than Maryland is. Yes, at the beginning of the year, after Syracuse, I was like, oh, maybe Maryland has a chance to beat Michigan this year with how Michigan had looked at that point, but I don't see that happening anymore. Ohio State, there's no, there's no way they beat them. Last year was a fluke, and they don't have this, those same pieces. Anthony McFarlane was the key to that game, and he's out. So I don't see that happening. Nebraska, I think that's another kind of toss-up left, but I don't see Maryland winning that. And then you've got Michigan State, which which I think they'll lose. So right now you're at three wins, and I think you maybe end the season with four wins, but I honestly think that there's a possibility they don't win a single game uh, left this season. I think it's hard to say because their talent is so much better than a three-win team. But like also like a, lo- 10, a lot of the not. talent is gone. It is, and I, it, it's gone to injury, but it's also a lack of production from yeah. pretty much everyone, but... But I'm saying, even if you get that good production from everyone, like, that's left, I just don't think there's enough pieces left. The easiest game on the schedule right now is Indiana, and then I would say it's Nebraska. Yeah, for sure. So. Those are those, their two chances. I think maybe they win one, but I'm not sure. At most, I say they win those two. Mm-hmm. I think they'll win one of those, and I think it'll be against Indiana. But I don't. I don't know. It's also hard to lose, what is it, five games in a row if they lose to Minnesota. Yeah, if they lose out from Minnesota, that's losing five straight. And and then your just momentum is just completely yeah, I don't know. going forward. I don't know if they're that bad to lose five games in a row. So, I don't I It's very hard I'm to say. I'm not saying that bad. I'm saying with the injuries and everything that's happened. And also, I just don't think the play calling is where it needs to be right now. I don't, I don't even know if it's necessarily the players, but I have been really unimpressed with the way they've adjusted i don't think that loxley has made adjustments to things that aren't working like uh the man defense or uh, i feel like he's just running a lot of the same offensive things over and over and i don't know i I just we'll see but uh it's not looking too great right now i mean even in terms of offense now their receivers don't get involved other than demas and what happened to the tight end what yeah, happened to Mabry, the tight end? Using Mabry, using Oconquo early on. I was in the so year. excited about that. What happened? And that was all the hype around that. Oh, Maryland finally using a tight end, but they really haven't done that. I would say since since Syracuse. Yeah, or I mean maybe Temple, 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 half of Temple. But like, why? Like, if you're losing personnel, why would you? And I and I think the reason is that they've had injuries on the offensive line and they need blocking and stuff. Yeah, but still, definitely. like. I think that was a strong aspect of their game, and that's something that can separate a team. And so I've been really disappointed to see that go down. Where is the tight end, Matt? No, they're not. Uh, where is the <laughs> wide? Where are the wide receivers? Because it's really just Dante Demas at this point. I mean, he had another game of double-digit receptions and triple-digit yards. Now DJ DJ uh, turns out for the season. He did DUI earlier, and uh, there's no formal suspension announced. And now Loxley's saying that he's not going to be playing the rest of the season, so that he can come back next year and have that full season. Um, I mean, the next guy with any sort of receptions, and it, it was Fleet Davis, and he's a running back, so he had three catches for 16 yards. I mean, there's no production. Yeah, Daryl Jones hasn't, you know, Daryl Jones great. hasn't been good. Sean Savoy hasn't looked good. He drops every pass that comes his way. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's Pigram's fault now because it was this one game. 
I don't know if it was Jackson's fault before that, but I really think that when I said it a couple weeks ago, they, they have to get Demas involved. They're doing that, but it's still not working for them. And I don't know if that's because they can't get anyone else involved and it's just him. And I think it's part of it's the play calling. They're or, picking it up because they're calling the same that. plays over and over. <laughs> it's the quick plays where they were, they would run a few yards and then he'd, and then Demas would slant to the middle and that worked against Rutgers on the first play of the game. But like, look at their scoring over the last couple games. Like I'm not talking about Howard down. or Syracuse, but like, if you look at every scoring play, a lot of them are the same exact play or the same exact type of play. Like, I think Loxley needs to get more flexible. This isn't Alabama where you have all of the great pieces and you can run the same thing over and over and you don't need to do this complex stuff or that you can just be, I'm Nick Saban, I'm going to stick to this plan because I know what I'm doing. It was your first year as a head coach of a Power 5 program. You don't have that talent. Make some adjustments. And you know what else he needs to adjust, Matt? What? His clothing. Okay. Why is that, Lila? <laughs> Okay, so I was very intrigued by this. I'm I'm not a superstitious person myself, but I'm very intrigued by superstitions in sports. I've written several articles about superstitions. I will continue to do so because it is very, very fascinating in my mind. I think it's a fun aspect. So, all of Maryland's wins. You want to know what Loxley was wearing, Matt? What was he wearing? <laughs> he was wearing white. What color, what, what color do you think he was wearing in all the losses? black yeah he's wearing black i've nothing against the color black though maybe it has something to do with like like funeral like you're showing up to your own funeral i don't know i i love a good blackout jersey matt's really annoyed with me right now i'm sorry <laughs> um but like i just think it's a fun little interesting tidbit i think it's a curious that they've won all the games that and by a lot that he's worn white and they've lost all the games of black now if he was mark turgeon mark turgeon is a very superstitious man if he lost one game in a, in a certain tie, he's never wearing that tie again. And I know with some players and managers, if, if he um, if he goes to a uh, road game and they stay in a hotel and they lose, that team isn't staying there again. I've heard about them staying in some interesting hotels. Oh, no. Is that bad news? I, I think Matt has some bad news for Maryland fans. Well, <laughs> the Terps football Twitter posted the uniforms that they're wearing against Indiana. <laughs> And for the first time, I believe it's not a headlined player that is modeling it. Uh, they usually use Tino Ellis or Anthony McFarland or Javon Leak, but not this time. So they will be wearing black on top and red on the bottom. No, so I'm not saying I've anything against black. If Loxley comes out <laughs> like, and Loxley, matches do not the wear players, black. he will be wearing black. Or maybe switch it up and wear red. Here's the thing, like, I blackout, and it's so upsetting because blackout jerseys are my favorite. Like, they're the best. And we saw how that went against Penn State. But it went, but maybe. I'm not, no, I'm just kidding. Like, Penn State would have beaten them regardless. But um, I just think it's funny. Because, like, the funny aspect of it is it says, I think it says something about Loxley because Turgeon is so superstitious. Like, he, if it was even one time, he would never wear that color again. So we'll have to see what he wears we'll against see. Indiana. I'm just saying, like, if, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up with this next game. And I know that it's super silly, but, you know, this is a rough season right now. I got I got to keep things light, Matt. I got to keep things light with uh, some clothing superstitions. Well, at least they have a three thirty kickoff this time. Usually they they get noon games, but Indiana will be a three thirty kickoff. And I think for Indiana, they I don't think their record shows how good they are. They're four and two, but their wins have been over Ball State, Eastern <laughs> Illinois, Connecticut, and Rutgers. All terrible teams. All arguably teams that. Is Eastern Illinois FBS or FCS? I'm not sure. I'm going to look that up right now, but I'm pretty, like, most of those teams, like, come on, Connecticut is FCS tal- caliber. We all know that. Rutgers is not Power 5 cal- caliber. Um, and, uh... Ball State is the other Yeah, Ball one. State is FCS. So, um, not looking too great. Yep, Eastern Illinois is uh, FCS. So, that's two FCS teams. A team in Connecticut that... I mean, come on, they're they're FCS. I'm not going to sit here and say that Connecticut is an FBS team. They can be classified as one, but they're not. Uh, and then Rutgers. Um, and losses to Ohio State and Michigan State games they're supposed to lose. But, um, yeah, I don't think they look that good, honestly. Um, you're right, their record does not show the team they are. I mean, that's just a weak schedule. That, that is a cheap, weak schedule right there. 
Yeah, Maryland should. If if Maryland got something like that, they'd they'd be in the same spot. But then but. every fan would complain <laughs> that it wasn't strong enough, and you know it's true. That is true. <laughs> um, but something I also noticed with the offense for Indiana is that they really only have one guy in the backfield and one receiver that dominates the, the oh, ball. I'm just a big fan of a receiver's name, Watt Filer. I mean, just incredible. What did you What did you say you thought the name was at first? At first, on the Indiana website, it has last name, then first name. But I thought that it was Fillior Wap at first. And it's Wap Fillior, I guess. Um, but he's, he's there. And I'm not saying that I'm making fun of it. Like, I honestly think that's awesome. They have some good names. Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this last night. Like, every week, uh, the Sean Montiel and I... We, uh, one of the managing deputy managing editors with uh, Cody under me, we always talk about names. Like, you know, when it's late night and you're editing and you want to keep things fun, well, you know, look at the names of a team we're facing because, you know, it can be fun. That's a shame that Maryland does not have as many fun names. It really is. You know, you got Colton Spangler, which is just quality name, just purebred quality name. I thought it was something out of a show, but it's not. Um, so we kind of joke about player names each week, and at the end of the season, I will be doing a ranking of the best player names that Maryland has faced. And uh, I think Indiana, Indiana's up there, okay? We got uh, Ty, and we're sorry if we mispronounce these, but here we go. Uh, we got Ty uh, Frofogel, or Fogel, great. We got uh, Davon Irvin Poindexter. We got Samuel Slusher. The next one I can't pronounce. Matt can try in a few minutes if he wants, but I don't want to completely butcher it. Uh, and then we got Koi Kronk. I'm going to try it. It's okay. Sio Nofawagatotoa. It might be Hawaiian. I really want... apostrophe A at the end of it. I really want to see this guy do something just to hear him try to uh, pronounce it right in the press box. Yeah, like that name is definitely going on the pronunciation guide. Yeah. And then you got Koi Kronk. I mean, that just... I don't even know what it sounds like that is from. Like, that's just sounds like someone who's just going to come into a party with, like, a boombox on his shoulder and cronk it up. <laughs> and then, and then you got Hunter Little John. His last name is Little John. That's great. They have great names. Just great names. Maryland, step your name game up. Loxley, you need to recruit me some players with some incredible names. That is your next task, and that is how you're going to win some games. What about Chigoziem Okonkwa? Oh, great name. Great name. Great guy. Ulua Sean, Ulua Timmy. Yeah, another great name. You know? You get great stuff with great names, Matt. Great stuff. But Indiana, they, they only use, as I said, one main running back. And that's uh, Stevie Scott, the third. And then their main wide receiver we mentioned is Wap Fillior. So is it Wap Fillior or Wap Filer? That's what I want to know. Uh, That'll also be in the pronunciation guide, I'm assuming. Um, but he dominates. He has 41 catches, 553 yards, and three touchdowns. Oh, there's also Peyton Hendershot, which I initially read first as Peyton Hendersnot. But they've got two Peyton. That's actually how this all started. They have two Peytons on this team that were like in the film breakdown. And I was like, hmm, they like going for like a Peyton Manning vibe, like thinking they're going to recruit some players named Peyton, you know? So I was like, is there a third Peyton? And I looked, and there wasn't. But then I came across, you know, Koi Kronk and Ty Froggle and Hunter Little John, and it was worth it to not have a third painting. <laughs> oh, and you have all those other names. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's a uh, beat Indiana week. All the teams are facing uh, Indiana, and even former Terp Mellow Trimble was facing Indiana in some form on Melbourne United. So he was playing in the uh, NBA, NBL series games that they're having, which, by the way, he's been killing it in. Like, he's proved that he's an NBA talent. We talked about him in terms of pros, and I will continue to tweet about it uh, because I, he deserves to be in the league. He has the talent. But uh, so he's going up against Yogi Ferrell, who was at Indiana while he was at Maryland, and they had some battles. Maryland lost uh, some tough games to Indiana during that time. And he goes up and just completely handles him, uh, dribbling, passing, just kind of, work out working him in the paint for the layup and n1 and gets the foul in and you know i tweeted it saying you know i think it was something like mellow trimble knows it's beat indiana week or something like that he's getting some sweet revenge well field hockey beat indiana on sunday six and nothing this seems unstoppable like that team is unstoppable volleyball won in five sets 
Wednesday night, and then women's soccer is coming is playing Indiana in college. All these games are in College Park, by the way. Um, so I was wondering if the teams are traveling together or how that's working. Is there just Indiana. like a giant Indiana hotel? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but uh, women's soccer is Thursday night, which is tonight, and then men's soccer tomorrow on Friday, and football obviously on Saturday. So and uh, yeah, two games we'll talk about really quickly before we wrap up. Well, one game, then one team. Volleyball. That game was crazy. First of all, you have Steve Aird returning, who left Maryland volleyball in 2017, just kind of out of the blue. Um, really shocked a ton of people. I remember I was that was my freshman year, and I was on the beat like the season prior, and I was just kind of shocked uh, to see that happen because he was in the middle of a rebuild. It seemed like they were making some progress, and he leaves for Indiana. Uh, it was the first time he was returning to College Park. Uh, it didn't seem like there were hard feelings. There was no booze from the crowd, nothing like that, but what a crazy game. Uh, Maryland is down two sets, and then they storm back uh, to win the next three, and it was just close throughout. Uh, it had to go to a tiebreaker. It was, it was just an insane game. Yeah, really solid game and a, a win that they needed. Yeah, um, they've not looked great. The Big Ten Conference, is out. we always talk about it, them and the Pac-12 being the top two volleyball conferences. And it, it, it's always, if, if you're Maryland, you have to win against the weaker teams in the conference. And Indiana is still a very good team, but they're not, you know, the, the, the big head, the big headed dogs or the, the big dogs, as Cody likes to call them, in Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, um, and Wisconsin, Nebraska, and those teams, Illinois, even Iowa, that just such good talent in the Big Ten for volleyball. And it's always important to beat the lower half to middle half of the conference. And I think when you go down 2 nothing, obviously, in my experience with volleyball, um, teams can easily just fold and lose the, lose one of those. But you're always on the back end of the Your back's against the wall when you're losing 2-0 in a game. And they came out and they really just put their foot on the gas pedal and they ended up winning in five sets. And that's a great turnaround. That's a great win. They win back-to-back games. And now they look to host uh, Nebraska on Saturday for looking to win their third straight game, which would just be the second time all season they've done that. But let's be honest, that's not happening. I mean, (laughs) Nebraska is number five in the country. They look incredible. I mean, and that's the thing. Um, we had mentioned this on previous podcasts that they needed to do better in non-conference. They needed to do better in the start of the Big Ten play because they have not played a ranked Big Ten team yet. But now their season is getting where they're pretty much only playing ranked teams. From here, Maryland plays three ranked opponents in its next four matches. As we said, as we said, starting with number five, Nebraska. Then you've got number eight, Penn State, and number six, Wisconsin. So that's going to you know be really tough for them. Yeah, I mean, I just mentioned all those teams that are at the top, and they're the big dogs in football, too, even. And they just produce great talent. It's Maryland, obviously, they have an inexperienced head coach in Adam Hughes just in his second season with the Terps. They have, the ta- they have good talent. It's just they play in a conference that has better talent, just by even just a little bit. And those games they lose puts Maryland down a little bit more on the rankings, and they're trying to get out of the end of the, the conference and try to get into the tournament. I don't know if that will end up happening, but... I think they've kind of hurt their chances at yeah. this point with just the way they start the season. I mean, you can't do that when you're in a conference like the Big Ten. You just can't. Um, but one team that has had a tremendous start and will 100% be in the NCAA tournament, I think there's like a 99% chance that they're in the championship game I, I mean <laughs> I think they're winning a championship is uh field hockey I mean they've won how many games straight Matt 10 wins in a row now and I think six of those six ranked wins came in a row and a lot of them I were against top 10 of, teams eight of this te- eight of the 10 are against ranked opponents um they beat number six Iowa three nothing on Friday Madison McGuire had two goals Taylor Mason at her first of the year Noelle Frost had seven saves in net. She's been unstoppable. Three straight shutouts from Noelle Frost. And it's just, I've never seen that in 
ice hockey, field hockey, even soccer. Yeah, she's literally like one. Yeah, and she keeps on winning Defensive Player right. of the Week. Like I think she's won it for the Big Ten like three weeks in a row. I think it's two weeks in a row, but three. Oh, two overall weeks in a row. So far, yeah. Okay. And okay. then Madison McGuire was named Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. So really, just they're just unstoppable right now. And yeah. then they beat Indiana. We mentioned six nothing on Sunday, which is the most goals they've scored in a game all season. Um, they, I think they've scored at least five goals now four times this year, which is they're they're just unstoppable on offense, defense. And, and Missy Maharg is always going to be there with the right play call, with the right moves. I right. mean, this is I this is their year to win the championship. I think they're they're in a much better. They have a much better chance than they did last year, and they. They, last year they went back to the national championship and they lost to UNC in a close game. So expect them to get back there and I expect them to win this time. And speaking of chances, as we wrap things up here, we have to give our predictions for Indiana and uh, kind of talk about the odds for that game a little bit. Uh, I believe, according to Odd Shark, uh, they're predicting that Indiana wins this game. The predicted score is 32.8 points for Indiana and 24.6 for Maryland. And the spread is at 5.5 in favor of the Hoosiers. The over-under set at 59 points. I'm taking the Terps in this one. I think this is their best shot to win a game for the rest of the way. They, If they're going to try to win another game this season, it's going to come against Indiana. There's no better time for them to try and turn it around and make the fans a little more energetic and happy to be a Terps fan for football. I think Maryland comes out on top on parents weekend as well. 28-24. I think it'll be close, but I think Pigram will do something in the fourth quarter to push the Terps over the edge. And if you look, I kind of mentioned the past games between these two teams, and I'm going to say that as I make my prediction, uh, because I think that's something to take of note. Last season, Maryland loses 34-32, okay? And then you have in uh, 2017 that Maryland wins 42-39. Then you go back to 2016, uh, and Maryland loses 42-36. to So, like, these are games that have been shootouts, as I said. So, uh, even though Maryland hasn't been able to put up a ton of points, you know, last week and against, you know, other teams besides really Rutgers since those first two weeks of the season— um, I think just with the nature of how these games have been, I think it's going to be a little higher scoring. So I am going to go with a 35-28 Indiana. I just think that Maryland's mentality is not where it needs to be right now, and I don't think the right adjustments are being made. So we'll have to see how that plays out on Saturday. Stay tuned, obviously, with all of Testuda Times coverage from the start of basketball season to all the non-revenues and to football this week. And we thank you for joining us on the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast.